There's a, a phrase that has been used over the last couple of years to describe a work trend that's been happening across the world. Uh, some of you have heard this phrase being used before, but what I'm referring to is this. Uh, you've heard this term maybe, the great resignation. It's a, a term to acknowledge the reality that there are uh, more people quitting their jobs right now than at any other point in the, in the history of our country. And in fact, um, not too long ago, Forbes magazine put together a chart to kind of show trends in people and in their quitting of, of their jobs or finding new ones. You see that, that chart on the screen here. Um, each of these lines represents a year over the last 20 years. And then as you go from left to right, it kind of shows the uh, amount of re resignations per month for each of those years. This orange line represents 2021. And there was over or around 4 million people a month that res resigned from their job either to be unemployed or in most cases to find a new one. Although we're only a little bit or halfway through, a little bit more than that, 2022, in case you were wondering, at current, 2022 is trending slightly higher in resignations than 2021. And when people are interviewed about you know, why they're changing their job or why they're quitting their job, uh, there's some interesting categories that they found as they've done these different uh, interviews. Uh, the top one was the, the lack of advancement opportunities or just feeling like their job was a little bit of a dead end. Um, low pay and at the same time, rising inflation has been an issue for many. Um, feeling disrespected or a workplace environment that isn't conducive to good health or feeling um, healthy. Um, lack of childcare uh, being offered was one. Uh, lack of flexibility. This had a lot to do with how uh, many of us have gotten really comfortable and familiar with um, being able to work at home or from home whenever we'd like. And some jobs are just not that flexible. And so there, people are looking for a job like that. Now, one of the things I know about all of you is that there's some of you listening to this message that you find yourself in that chart because over the last two years or so, you've decided to quit a job and begin a new one. There's others of you listening to this message who have been strongly thinking about what it would be like to change a career, and maybe that's what's needed. And you can totally relate to all of these different categories that you find on the screen. What I know unites all of us is the topic of work and life has some interest for us. Because almost every single person who's listening to this message will either have had a job or will have one someday. In fact, according to studies, 50 to 60% of our waking hours are spent at work. 50 to 60% of the time that we're awake, we're spending time at work or on the job. And if that's true, if that's how much time we spend at work, I think we would prefer to have a job or have work that we enjoy and find fulfillment in. 
That work would be more than just this necessary evil that we kind of have to get through for five days so that we can really live for two days. Or that we just get through for 40 years because our entire lives, we're just waiting for retirement. How horrible of an existence would that be? It's good and important to find work and a job that we enjoy, that we have some passion around, that we feel has some fulfillment in. How important isn't that for all of us? Now, I suppose for some of us, this message is probably just affirmation today that it might be good for you to think about what other thing might you want to do with your life to consider maybe it is time for me to find a new job. And if that's you, I would say do that prayerfully and do that wisely. The other thing I would say is before you do that, I think there is just this very powerful question that all of us should consider. It's this. What does God have to say about work? Does he even care? Is the only time of your week that God cares about Sunday morning when you come to worship? Or or does God have some direction for us when it comes to our lives and specifically for our lives at work? The truth is, God cares deeply about your life at work. And when we bring Jesus into that picture, it absolutely changes things at work. And that kind of lends itself to our our first fill-in for today, just to kind of get you thinking a little bit. It's this, that Jesus applying his truth, remembering that you were created more for more than just what you see with your eyes, that Jesus has the power to change how you feel about your work. That there's a way to live your work life with Jesus that is unordinary, that is different maybe than most of the people you know and how they think of their job and their life at work. And that's what we want to talk about today. So maybe a good place to start is with this basic question. Why is there work in the first place, right? Now, it's interesting, when I've talked to to Christians over the years, uh, there tends to be this mistaken notion that work came about as a result of sin in the world. And that if the world was still perfect the way God intended it to be, we wouldn't work. We would just spend, I don't know, our entire life laying out at the beach, going to the lake up north, or playing Xbox and watching Netflix. That that's, you know, perfect world is is what we'd be doing, that there wouldn't be any work. But that's just not true. In fact, if you go back to Genesis and the creation of the world, the creation of people, before there was ever sin in the world, you know what there was? <laughs> there was work, sorry to say. <laughs> in fact, here's what we see in Genesis chapter 2. In a perfect world, this is before sin, God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
Now, of course, what happened when sin came into the world, that the workplace or the workplace environment became very much a more difficult place to be. For Adam, his workplace environment was what? It was the field, right? And there'd be thorns and there'd be thistles, God said. Work would become difficult. The environment around work, in some ways, would have a curse on it. It would be hard. But work... It's always been a part of God's plan. It's good to remember. It's good to think about. God created us to work, to have a purpose, to use our gifts and skills that we have to serve him and other people at work, to have an opportunity to um, supply the needs of our family, not just by God magically making food appear, but through work. So what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward from the Garden of Eden, and now we're going to fast forward all the way to the first century AD. And there was a pastor in the first century. We talk about him a lot because he wrote, you know, about half of the New Testament. His name was Paul. And one of the letters he wrote was to a group of Christians in a town around the Mediterranean Sea in the Roman Empire um, named Colossae. And in one of the sections of that letter, he wrote a little bit of encouragement about how different groups that are together should interact. So he first addressed uh, husbands and wives and gave some quick directions on how husbands and wives should interact. Then he addressed parents and children and gave direction about that. And then finally, he spent a few verses talking about how slaves and masters should interact. Now, Rightly so, when you hear the word slave or slavery, our antennas go up, and and that's a good thing. Slavery is not something that God uh, has ever approved of, but I I think it's good for us just to get context to think a little bit or to have a quick history lesson. Because when we think slavery in the United States, we tend to think of a particular racial group that was treated as less than than human because that's our history with slavery. In the Roman Empire, to be fair, it was a a little bit different. It wasn't typically just a particular race that were were slaves. Um, It wasn't that way. Uh, Sometimes uh, slaves would come to a particular country because they were prisoners of war, and instead of putting them in prison, they would instead be asked to or told to serve. Another thing is that most slavery didn't last forever. Um, Most slaves, or even could use the word indentured servants, would only last maybe between 10 and 15 years or until... um, until either their debt was paid, because that's how a lot of people ended up becoming these indentured servants, or um, until some sort of punishment was carried out because they had gotten in trouble with the law. And then lastly, there was, even if in the Roman government, and also we're going to see this in the Bible, some direction, again, on how it looked to treat servants or slaves in a good and um, if I can say it, loving way. But although slavery is mentioned in the Bible, nowhere does God condone that. Paul just addresses it because it's part of what people were experiencing in the Roman Empire. So here's what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry or to gain their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. 
So what Paul's saying is, if you're a slave, be the best slave that you can be. Not just when your boss or your your master is watching you, but even when he or she is not. And do it not because you like them, but it says, and we're going to come back to this, do it out of reverence for the Lord. And then, and then Paul kind of expands the scope a little bit and, and gives us some direction that can apply uh, to all work and to all jobs. Next verse. It says, whatever you do, so whatever your occupation is, wherever you work, whoever you work with, whatever your role is at that job, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Don't mail it in. Don't be lazy. Don't um, take advantage of your boss or your working environment by giving less than a, a full effort. Do your best at your job. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You say, but I don't like my boss. But I don't like the people that I work with. Paul gives us, and all workers, a brand new way to think about life at work. You're not working for your boss only. He says, work as if, because you are, you are working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that's what we want to camp out on for a while today because it it really does change our view of work. Um, Our our second fill-in for today is this. Who you work for transforms where you work at. What I mean by that is when you consider, when you think about who it is you're truly serving, who it is you're working for, whether you have a full-time career, whether you're part-time, whether you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever your job is, who you work for transforms where you work at. See, if you're a Christian, you have a higher boss than just your boss. If you're a Christian, Paul's saying, you have a higher authority than the authority that oversees your work. When you're a Christian, we work for someone else. We work for the Lord. And as we camp out on this, I want to bring out three different ways in which recognizing that we're working for the Lord um, changes things. The first is on the screen, that working for the Lord, when we remember that he's our boss, it will bring significance to all work. Now, I think one of the things that sometimes uh, Christians can have a mistaken idea about or have the impression is that working for the Lord (laughs) means being a pastor or means working at a church, having a job that's connected to a church or a ministry. And that is a way of working for the Lord. And in fact, if I could, because I don't say this enough, I'm just going to pause for a moment and say how important it is for our young people 
to consider what it might be like to do this important work of serving at a church or being a pastor. Right now, in our small little church body, we have 150 pastoral vacancies. Our graduating class this year is going to be in the 30s from the seminary. There's a lot of need for our young people who have those gifts, or even people who are looking for a second career job or to change jobs to consider being a pastor, being a worker. And and Christian parents, I'll tell you, because I'm a parent too, it really starts with you. To consider, okay, do my children have gifts for this type of ministry, this type of working for the Lord, and to call those things out in a good way, to encourage them to consider it. There, there is nothing more important necessarily or fulfilling than doing gospel work full time. But with all of that said, let's never mistake the idea that only being a pastor or a church worker is the only way to serve God. What did Paul write? Let's go back to the verse. He said, whatever you do, pastor, teacher, accountant, construction worker, architect, barista, hamburger flipperer, I mean, whatever you do, anything you do, you can do it as if you are working for the Lord. And not only can you consider your job that you have right now, your season of life as one in which you are working for God, but in fact, God is in fact using the work you do In almost every case, I suppose there are some jobs that bring no material value to this world or even are connected to some sort of sin. Those types of jobs exist. But in most cases, in most jobs, they are a way of bringing value to this world and God is using what you're doing to make a difference in the world. Let me just give you one example and then I encourage you to think about your own job um, on your own. But here's what... David writes in Psalm 145, he says, the eyes of all look to you, God, and you, God, give them their food at the proper time. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I haven't. Have you ever had God appear to you and give you your food at the proper time. Like, thanks, God, for handing me that food, right? That has never happened. So how does God carry out this plan for his people? There are people who are farmers, and they plant seed, and they harvest the food with big machinery now that people called mechanics take care of and repair. And then when it's all harvested, there are people called truck drivers who drive big trucks to take the grain or the crops to the the mill. And the way they're able to drive that truck is because there are people who work in the oil industry and there's something called diesel fuel that they fill up with. And then eventually they take all that grain or all that food to the grocery store And there's people that stack shelves 
that make sure that everything is in the grocery store just right. And oh yeah, there's also people who make the packages or the, the, the wrapping that the food is in. And then there's people, they don't always run the registers anymore. Sometimes they just oversee the registers. But there's, there's people making sure that the registers work. And did you know there's people who designed little chips, uh, computer chips, so that the scanners work? And, and then there's people, one of them actually works at this church. His name's Matt, who um, go not... Pastor Matt, a different Matt, who goes and collects grocery carts from the, the parking lot and makes sure that they come into the building so that I have a cart when I go grocery shopping at, at Cub. And then in the winter in Minnesota, there are people who drive snow plows so that the parking lot is accessible and people who produce salt so that ice gets melted and on and on and on. Do you see? God gives them their food at the proper time but he does that through us and our jobs that sometimes just seem to maybe not have always the meaning and significance that we, we th- wish they did. But you could do this with every single area of life. That's just, this is just one. This is just food. And, and when we do our work to our best, when we use the gifts that God has given in whatever area you are, there is this this meaning to it because we're not just driving a truck or grabbing carts. We're using our gifts to help people, to carry out God's plan, to glorify God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's this really good book, if this topic really intrigues you, I would highly encourage you to read it. It's called Every Good Endeavor, um, written by a pastor named Tim Keller. And he talks all about this relationship of faith and work. And one of the things that he wrote in there just really caught my attention, and I thought it would be helpful for you to hear. Because sometimes we downplay the significance of whatever job it is that you might have. He asks the question, what does it mean to be a Christian pilot. Not just a pilot. What does it mean to be a Christian pilot? And maybe, you know, you're thinking, or at one time you would have thought, well, to be a Christian pilot, then, you know, a Christian pilot would maybe put little gospel literature on all the seats as the passengers come in, whether, you know, the business or the the airline lets them do that or not, or uses the intercom to make a, a faith testimony or to say a prayer before takeoff. And if you have those opportunities at your places of work to actually talk about the gospel or to to say a prayer, I mean, I highly advise doing that. But what Tim Keller said is, you know what it means to be a Christian pilot? He said, land the plane (laughs) safely, as smooth as possible. You know what he's saying? He's saying, whatever it is your job is, Do it to the best of your ability. Serve as if God is sitting in your plane, as if you're serving the Lord. You know, Martin Luther, uh, he wrote all about this 500 years ago, and it's also a very good work to, to read. If you have some time, you can find it on the internet. But this quote is one that I've shared with all of you before, but it always hits my heart because I think so often we have jobs sometimes that we just don't feel or see the significance of. 
Here's what Martin Luther wrote. He wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, not by putting a fish symbol on your car necessarily, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Wow. If, if we think about this, it can absolutely transform whatever job you already have as you consider what it means to serve the Lord and bring significance to your work. So when it comes to follow or working for the Lord, it brings significance to all work. It also gives you a moral compass at work. Let's be real. There is a lot of pressure at most places of work to make a profit. And as our economy is becoming more global, those margins for profit become tighter and tighter. And depending on where you work, there can be a lot of pressure around closing the deal, around making your quarterly numbers. There can be a lot of pressure around showing your value to the board or to your manager to show that you're bringing significance or value to the work. And so what happens is, in some places of work, there can be a temptation to cut corners, to not be totally honest with the customer, or to, to walk kind of teetering on the line between what is ethical or what is moral. And what's even worse is that in order to make a profit, um, some places of work have even taught you that this is how we do it that we teeter on the line of ethics or morals. And that's actually how you were taught. In fact, that might be a reason to find a new environment for work if that's how you're feeling. But working for the Lord gives you a moral compass to remember and to help navigate those situations. Or maybe it's not uh, profit that's an issue, but maybe it's an environment where people just aren't treating each other well. There's lots of gossip going around. Or maybe there's inappropriate uh, male-female relationships that are easily cultivated in the work environment that you, you live or that you work in. There's a whole bunch of different areas, but when we work for the Lord, it brings us a moral compass at work to help navigate those things. You might recall when Jesus was describing what it looks like, the attribute of what it looks like to be a Christ follower in this world, he didn't mention going to church. He didn't say, wear a suit and tie. He didn't talk about cross necklaces or, again, a fish sticker on your car. When he described what the sign would be of his people, this is what he told his disciples. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What does that look like where you work? What does this mean for how you interact with your boss or your employees or your coworkers? See, working for the Lord brings a moral compass for us to navigate work environments and situations. 
Finally, working for the Lord reminds you of your true identity. Because in Western cultures, one of the most important things about us is what we do. Did you know it's not that way in every culture? Historically, in Far Eastern cultures, much more important than your career is um, how big your family is in traditional Far Eastern cultures and the significance you are to that family. But in Western culture, it's your job. When you meet someone, you ask them, what's your name and then what? What do you do? I'm a pastor. I'm a salesman. I'm a construction worker. What do you do? And the reality is, and, and I am the first to say that I have to navigate this very carefully and don't get it all right all the time, is that a lot of times we find too much of our identity of who we are in our career and in what we do. I just want you to know, and some of you have already felt this, but I'm going to put words around it, is if what you do is your identity, it's going to be a roller coaster for life. Here's how Tim Keller said it in Every Good Endeavor. If work is your identity, when you're successful, it'll go to your head and make you full of yourself. Because I did that. I managed that. I closed that deal. And this is who I am. But when you fail, it will go to your heart and crush you. Because if your identity is in what you do and you don't do it well, well, what value are you? When you lose your job, well, what good am I? When someday I have to retire and I don't have the job that I have, well, what significance is there in my life? Because I've lost my identity. But... But Jesus. You see, when Jesus is a part of this discussion, it doesn't just transform the way we look at work, it transforms how we think of ourselves. I want you to think about when Jesus came to this earth, he had a job, didn't he? I'm not even talking about Savior, he had a different job. He was a blue collar worker, he was a carpenter. And for 30 years of his life, that's what he did. Carrying out God's will and most likely being a carpenter. All along though, he also had another role and job. It was to be savior. And when you look at, at Jesus' ministry, you see a man, a God man, who understood perfectly who he was working for. In fact, um, I came across these words that Jesus spoke this week that fit so well. He, he was talking to his disciples and he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will. I'm not the boss. My stepdad Joseph's not the boss. <laughs> but to do the will of him who sends me. He worked for his father. <laughs> And then uh, some of you might remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he was going to die, the weight of the cross and the pain there was crushing him emotionally. And as he's sweating drops of blood, he prays, 
Lord, if it's your will, take this from me. Can there be a different way to save the world? But what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. He had a different boss. And then he went to the cross, and you know what he did? He did work. You see, Jesus is more than just a a perfect example that when we compare ourselves to, we just feel guilty. He's a savior who lived perfectly and then did your work for you. You see, when, when he allowed the crown of thorns to be pressed in his head or on his head, he was doing my work that I deserved. When he carried that heavy cross up the mountain to Golgotha, he, he was doing your work that we deserved. When he fought against Satan and suffered hell itself, uh, being forsook by the Father, he was doing work, but it wasn't his that he deserved. It was yours and mine that we deserved. And then when he rose from the dead and won the victory, you know what he was doing? Your work. And that victory is yours as well. And the reason he did that, A, is because he loves you, but also because what he wants you to experience is not this this need to do a whole bunch of work and to find your identity and what you do. I mean, he wants you to enjoy your work. You don't need to feel guilty if you like what you do. But he didn't do all this for you just to work harder. He did it so that you'd have rest. Right here. Not rest from every earthly labor. There's still work that needs to happen, but rest of the soul. And so, last. Work will no longer be the master that enslaves you when you recognize Jesus, but it will be a joy as you work for the one who saves you. Lord, I give you my job and my day. And yes, I have to do these things at work. I need to flip burgers, but I'm gonna do them to glorify, do that to glorify you. Whatever it is, do it to his glory. So here's your application. Here's the thing that you need to wrestle to the ground this week and answer for yourself. What does for you working for the Lord look like? What does working for the Lord look like for you? What things do you need to think about? What things do you need to tweak? What areas can you recognize? Wow, yeah, there's significance there as I glorify God in what I do. You see, Tomorrow morning, most of us are going to go to work. And when we recognize we work for someone else, you know what that is? It's the art of being unordinary. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this thing that maybe we often don't thank you enough for, and that's work and for our jobs and for the gifts and skills that you've given to each one of us. Lord, sometimes there can be a monotony in work, especially if you've been in the same place for a while. 
I pray, Lord, that this message allows all of us to, to maybe be re-energized and to recognize that when we go to work, we are in a very real way being able to work for you. And we give you our life and we thank you for taking care of us and providing for us through our work. To that end, Lord, I, I pray that this message hits all of us in, in a way that it was needed today and that we respond uh, to the love of Christ with a renewed vigor to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.